Would you turn with me in your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 10? Uh, there were sheets in the back. If you got one, that's great. Um, don't get overwhelmed. It was two-sided. One was from last week. One is this week. I'm not doing both sheets this week. Uh, well, if you remember uh, last week, we, we jumped off of uh, Acts chapter 2 and we were talking about the early church and that uh, 3,000 people were in that church and, and they needed to do something with them. They needed to take care of them. And uh, we had talked about um, some key elements that they, they, in the early church, they taught uh, the people, they fellowshiped with the people, they worshiped together, they prayed together, they sacrificially gave to one another, they served one another, they witnessed, and then they reproduced. And that was the key theme that we were talking about. Uh, as we're in these series of messages, um, Pastor Tim and Pastor Doug and I are, are trying to work us through the key elements of our church, um, of a healthy and a vibrant church. And, and Pastor Doug got an opportunity to talk to us about evangelism, and now I get the opportunity to talk about discipleship. You remember we had talked last week about the fact that our desire ultimately as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ should be to glorify God. And the duty that he has given us is to do that by proclaiming Christ and his cross and by making disciples of people. You make disciples by evangelizing people, being the ambassador, Sandy, and then discipling them. Where is our destination? God wants to take it from Washington, New Jersey. He wants to take it from Warren County. He wants to take it to the world. And he does that through you, and he does that through me. So the church's mission was pretty clear. It was to make disciples. And discipleship, you can be discipled by anyone. Anyone that you sit at the feet of, you will become their disciple. But biblical discipleship is Christ-centered and cross-centered and word-centered and spirit-enabled and God-glorifying type of focus in our lives. Discipleship should be producing maturity in your life, we talked about last week. Discipleship should remind you of who you are. You're a chosen people. You're a holy nation. You're a royal priesthood. That you've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. And what has he given you? He's given you the opportunity, the privilege of displaying his glory to a world to proclaim his excellencies. If you remember last week, we ended with just some key points, that discipleship is a process. It's about change. It's lifelong. It's comprehensive, that it's not just from the preaching of the pulpit, but um, it's from the singing that we do. Discipleship should occur, as it, as it does week after week. Thank you so much. Um, it's relational, that you are going to be changed, not in isolation. You cannot be discipled by watching a pastor on TV. You cannot be discipled by pulling up some good music on the radio. You will be discipled when you're a one-on-one, man-on-man, woman-on-woman, person-on-person. Discipleship is about becoming like Christ. Discipleship is about obedience. Discipleship is driven by the Holy Spirit. And discipleship is fruitful ministry. Well, today, I want to try to get a little practical, if we could. I've entitled the message, By His Grace and For His Glory. One of my friends has that tagline, and I use it. If you ever get an email or something like that from me, I usually will put either blessings or by his grace and for his glory, because I want to constantly be reminding myself of the fact that I don't breathe if it's not by God's grace. I don't live if it's not by God's grace, and I am his child by his grace. And my life is to be reflecting of his glory in my life and in yours. Well, look here with me in Matthew chapter 10, because this is one of the key passages that we're going to be looking at this morning. Matthew 10. 
Look at verse 24. Jesus is preparing his disciples to go out in ministry, and he says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to become like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they called the master the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? So important to remind ourselves that we sit at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. We live in a health, wealth, and prosperity time, but the reality is this. If you are going to align yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ, it's going to be a, a life of difficulty at times. A life of persecution, a life of suffering, but it is a life that we can sit at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ and learn from him. Jesus goes on to tell us in verse 26, he says, So have no fear of them, those people that are out there attacking you, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim in the housetops. And do not fear those who will kill the body, but cannot touch or kill your soul. Rather fear those who can uh, destroy both body and soul in hell. And then he talks about our value. Are, you, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them fall to the ground apart from the Father. But even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore. You have more value than sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Jesus is reminding us that if you're aligning yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ, it is, it's a ministry of mercy. It's a ministry that's difficult, but it's a ministry that is so, so encouraging. You know, there's some of us here in this room that find ourselves feeling inadequate in our, in our lives in Christ. And we've been believers for a long time, but we find ourselves struggling with being able to apply uh, the truths of Scripture. I wonder if it's not because we have not gotten ourselves into intimate, vital relationships with one another, where iron sharpens iron, where we're challenged. I pray that you have a burden to feel a need to grow deeper in your relationship with God. I pray that you have a burden to grow deeper in knowing who he is and why he's here. I pray that you're getting to a point in your life where you will be evaluating your heart and life in light of the scriptures. Where is it? God has called you out of darkness, but he hasn't just called you out of darkness. He's called you into light. And he's called you not into light alone. He's called you as a body of believers to come together as a family. So when you feel inadequate, come with somebody. When you sense a lack of conviction in your life, bring it up to an accountability partner. When you're struggling with perfectionism and I can't do it, remind yourself of the good news of the gospel that I look to one who's perfect in my case and bring glory and honor to his name. So I just want to hit a couple of bullet points this morning and then we're going to spend some time talking about how we could do this practically. Turn with me to Matthew 28 again. We talked about this passage last week, and this is the entrance passage when it talks about discipleship in the church. And Jesus, just before he is um, ascending into heaven, he gave this great commission to the church. I want you to remind yourself of the fact that discipleship is commanded. This is not an option for a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. You are commanded to be discipled and to grow in faith in him. Jesus said this, now the 11, verse 16, went to Galilee 
to the mountain to which Jesus had been directing them. And when they saw them, saw him, they worshipped him, because, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So he's given all authority by his Father. And what does he say to you? What's the command? Go, therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus commands you and I, you and me, to make disciples. This process is about going out. He says going. It's not that you have to necessarily go to a foreign land. As we said last week, it's as you're going, make disciples. You do that first by baptizing. What that is is evangelism. And we talked last week, which was actually kind of cool last week. We talked about um, baptism last week. And then I heard of two young people who said, you know, I haven't been baptized yet. I want to be baptized. And so baptism is a sign of our relationship with God. It's speaking out to the world that, you know what, I am his own and baptizing people and evangelizing them and and teaching them the scriptures. Remember in 2 Timothy, it says, all scripture is given to us by God. It's God-breathed, is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So God wants to take us through that scripture. He wants to teach you in that scripture. And as he does that, what you're going to do is you're going to grow in Christ's likeness. You're going to become more and more like him. When you think about this, that we are fallen in Adam and sin, we the image that God has given to us has become a shattered image. And what God wants to do progressively in your life is to reproduce that image so that we are looking more and more like Christ. And we do that through the period of discipleship. One thing I really appreciate about this is not only that he's commanding us to be disciple, and not only is he telling us to go to his word, but what's the last line here? He says, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded, obey. And then he says what? Give him the promise, and behold, I am always with you. One of the key elements of discipleship is that it's a vital relationship with one another on a human level, but it is a vital relationship with the divine creator. It's a vital relationship with God. He is here with you. He will never leave you. Turn with me to Luke chapter 9, because I think there's a second principle that we need to hear as we get practical here, that discipleship is commanded, but discipleship sees Jesus as our highest commitment. It sees Jesus as our highest commitment. In Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62, Jesus is giving us a, a story of the cost of following Jesus. And he says, as they were going along, verse 57, along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. See, counter to the gospel that is being the false gospel that's being preached today, that it is about the possessions that you will receive on this earth. What Jesus is saying that if you're going to choose to follow him, sometimes it is a path of sacrifice. Sometimes it's a path that's very difficult. Jesus didn't even have a home to lay his head down. That if you want to follow me, you may not get riches on this earth, but you'll have riches in eternity. Well, to another, a third, a second person has said, Jesus said, follow me. Now, Jesus is the one saying, follow me. And he says, first, let me go bury my father. And Jesus said something that was seemed so um, incredible. He says, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for me, 
and for as for you, proclaim the kingdom of God. And if you remember, as we were working through Luke, Jesus is not saying dishonor your family. Jesus is not saying take care of your family. What Jesus is saying is this. He needs to become a priority in our lives. And perhaps this person is excusing himself or delaying his discipleship work. And Jesus says, no, there's no delay. You need to move forward. To a third, he says this. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those who are in my home. And Jesus says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of heaven. See, Jesus encounters these three would-be followers and Jesus is just telling you that, you know, following him is not always going to be calm. It's not going to always be comfortable. But what is following him is making Christ our ultimate authority, Christ our highest commitment, Christ our single-minded devotion. He must be first in our lives. In Matthew chapter 16, it tells us another principle that's important to remember. It tells us that Christ following or discipleship is about letting go of earthly things and willingness to suffer for Christ. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus gives this statement. Verses 21 and following. It says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and do what? He suffer many things. And the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day raised from the dead. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, of you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he, Jesus, turned to him and said, Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. You're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. It's interesting that the disciple thought he could teach the teacher. It's a huge mistake. Jesus had not been, I mean, Peter had not been listening to Jesus, that Jesus' cross or path was going to be not a way of a crown, but primarily a way of a cross. And he's saying that this, that's true for Jesus. It's going to be true for you. Verse 24, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. If you're working for life here on this earth, it will be lost. For whoever saves his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains everything in this world but forfeits his soul? And what shall a man give in return for his soul? For Jesus is going and to come with his angels in glory his father and then he will repay each person according to what he has done truly i say to you there's some standing here who will not taste death until he sees the son of man coming in his kingdom jesus is reminding us that the disciple must be humble peter wasn't peter thought he could teach the teacher he wasn't humble discipleship must move us past our natural inclinations for this world of ease or recognition or comfort it even has to move us past the point of wanting to protect or preserve my own life. Discipleship is about following Christ. The fourth principle I want you to consider is this. The discipleship is relational. Discipleship is relational. The Proverbs passage is an iron sharpens iron, but turn with me to 2 Timothy 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. I'm sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 2. 
probably the last letter that, uh, or one of the last letters that um, Paul is going to write, and he writes it to his young disciple, Timothy, and he gives him some counsel. And then he says this in verses 1 and following to Timothy. He says, you then, my child, be strengthened by grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others. Do you see it? It's the process of discipleship. That as Paul taught Timothy, Timothy then is supposed to entrust that to leaders and other people that are going to learn to teach. He is supposed to grow other people that are going to take leadership and teach the message, and that message now gets reciprocated. And they teach more people, and so on, and so on, and so on. He says in verse 2, share when the suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civil, uh, civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought, whose crops, I'm sorry, who ought to have his share of the crops. Think over what I've said, for the Lord will give you understanding. Well, you can see now. The Lord will give you understanding. He gives three illustrations. He gives the illustration of a soldier who is focused on following his leader's orders. He gives focus of an athlete. An athlete is constantly preparing and competing according to the rules. And then he gives the idea of a farmer. A farmer is looking full out to plant his seed and something comes out. So discipleship is commanded. So discipleship sees Christ as our highest commitment. Discipleship is about letting go of this life and a willingness to suffer. Discipleship is relational. Galatians tells us that we who are spiritual should be restoring people. That if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you are mature, you can't be doing this alone. That you've been given an amazing gift by God to be used in the body of believers. And if you're not sharing that gift, you're failing to glorify God. And this church is hampered by it. So I pray that you would realize that you are here not by mistake. That if you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you have a gift. Use it for the glory of God. Discipleship's goal and progress is Christ-likeness. We went through this passage last week in 2 Corinthians that we with unveiled faces, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Discipleship is a we all. It's not about an eldership group. It's not about leaders, it's about all of us, that if you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been granted grace by Christ, and he's given you that grace, and he wants you to reflect his glory. There's something in Hebrews chapter 5 that really challenges me. Look with me in this passage, Hebrews chapter 5. The writer to the Hebrews, it's a very encouraging letter, but then every once in a while in this letter, he starts to spank the readers. And he's spanking us right now. About this, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. I don't know how anybody can open the word and get bored. I love it. 
I may not always understand it. Sometimes it's easier to understand sections. Sometimes you have to do real hard work to understand it. But the reality is that if you find yourself dull or lazy, when it comes to your growth in Christ, there's something radically wrong. And the writer is saying that that's a problem. He says, for though by this time you ought to be the one who's teaching, you need somebody to teach you the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk and not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who their powers of discernment trained by constant practice. You hear that word? Constant practice. The discerns good from evil. Discipleship is about continued growth, and you need to be very careful and mindful of the danger of spiritual laziness in your life. One last thing I want you to consider before we talk about some bullet points I want you to realize that discipleship is church-wide, and it's intergenerational. It is so cool to be able to look out at this congregation and see gray, gray-haired people and young people and middle-aged people, that we have a body of believers that are here that make up the generations. In Titus, Paul is encouraging Titus to use the older men and the older women and have them mentoring younger men and younger women in the church. That should be happening here in this body. In 1 John, it seems to show us some levels of growth in Christ. It talks about little children in Christ. It talks about young men in Christ. And it talks about those who are mature as fathers in Christ. There is a connection. There's a relationship. But there's an intergenerational relationship. You remember I said to you that you should have at least three people in your life. Somebody who's older than you. Spiritually, not only older, but also chronologically older that you can sit at their feet and hear from them. You're somebody who's similar in age and also similar in length and time in Christ who could be an accountability person. And then you should have somebody who's younger than you in the faith that you should be mentoring through this. And Paul is giving us that idea. And discipleship grants us great reward. Mark chapter 10 says this. Peter is talking about everything that they've given up for Christ. Peter begins by saying this. He says, see what we've left to follow you? And Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brother or sister or father or children or lands for my sake and for the sake of the gospel who will not receive hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands, but hear it, with persecution. And in the age to come, eternal life. That Jesus was saying this, that, you know, it, to follow Christ, and some of you who have committed to Christ, I was talking to a friend this week, um, they came out of a, a church to come to the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and their family has rejected them. Their family believes that they've become apostate because they've left this church and they've chosen to follow Christ. They won't come to, their, uh, to this person's worship gatherings because they won't enter the building. So they can't have family gathering together. And it seems like they've given up everything to turn to Christ. And what I was saying to them is this, you have brothers and you have sisters, and you have mothers, and you have fathers in this body of believers that can encourage you. 
All right, so it's commanded. Christ should be our highest goal. It's about letting go of this life. It's about relationships, about progress. It's church-wide. It's intergenerational. It provides great rewards. But how do I do it? I think it comes to the point of um, a principle that came out of this book, Side by Side, by Ed Welsh. It's coming to the place that I realize that I'm needy. But you're also needed. See, I am needy. I need you. And you need me. And we need one another. I need Christ. We need. But you're needed. You have gifts and talents that can be used to reciprocate others and to reproduce this body of believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. So how do we do that? You need to move towards one another and greet one another. There should never be a person that comes into this body of believers and is not greeted by somebody and leaves this church and not is greeted. Huge problem. You need to be willing to enter into the world of another believer. You need to be willing to enter into the world of a non-believer. You know, we're, I see those goodies in the back, and we run to those goodies in the back, and the question is, are we running to talk to somebody? And is it more than just, I hope you're doing okay? I hope it's about the fact, I want to hear what's going on with you. Can I pray for you? Let me take down that name. I, I commit to pray for you this week. You have to have thoughtful conversations with one another, not just that the Mets won last night. Thoughtful, deep, intimate conversations. Wasn't that an amazing song I love, Before the Throne of God? You know that, right? Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. My great high priest whose name is love. I mean, I'm going to cry. I love that song. Do you have those thoughtful conversations about the gospel of God's amazing grace? Do you listen to one another? Sometimes we're just ready to run out of here. We don't even listen. We don't even catch a person by the name. Do you see good in people? We're sinners, fallen. Don't misunderstand me. But the image of God is still there in every believer, every person. And the possibility for salvation is there. Do you see that opportunity? Do you enjoy people? Are you willing to identify with the sufferings of people? You can't disciple people unless you're willing to do that. You need to be there with them in the good days and the bad, and you have to have compassion on people who are struggling. Do you pray for people? You know, I'll pray for you. Do you really even say that? And then do you follow through on the commitment? You need to be willing to help one another. As Sandy shared with us, you need to be bold to tell the truth. I'm an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ. And have you placed yourself under or providing loving accountability to another person? See, that's how you're going to be discipled. I'm needy. I need you. But you need me. And as we work side by side with one another, this body can grow. Tim Keller gave two piercing questions that I want to end with this morning. It's questions I'd like you to really consider about your life 
I got one finger out, three fingers pointing back. But these are the questions that I need you to consider as we think about this idea of discipleship. Are you humbler, happier, more self-controlled? Do you have more inner peace than you did last year at this time? That's piercing. It doesn't mean that there isn't less problems. We lose jobs. We have cancer diagnoses. We have relational difficulties. Those things may ramp up even more. But the question is, internally, are you growing? And if you're not, it's a sign of life. A sign of life is growth. So the first question, are you humbler or happier or more self-controlled? Do you have more inner peace than you did this, last time, this time last year? And then the second question is even more difficult because this is where accountability and relationship come in. Do you have the courage to ask someone who knows you whether that is the case or not? See, I could say that I am better when it comes to happier or holier or better than I was last year. But the question is that somebody that knows you well, your spouse, your children, your best friend, whoever it is, your family member, is there somebody in your life that you're willing to ask, is that really true of me? And are you willing to hear the truth in love? God changes us through vital relationships. I pray that we can get to a place where we're moving from just becoming visitors in this church to being involved. I pray that we can move to a place where we are being trained by this church, sitting under the teaching. I pray that we would get to a place where we're assisting here in the body, that we're using our talents and our gifts for the body of believers. And I pray that some of us will get to a place where we move from sitting in the seats to becoming leaders in this church. That's the vital path for the glory of God, by his grace and for whose glory, his glory alone. Would you pray with me?